Good morning. If you're a guest here, it's great to have you with us. Thank you for joining us. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we're going through the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. Uh, we've been looking at it, and last week Raj went through the third chapter, and this morning we'll be looking at chapter four. Um, just to, before we read through the cha- uh, fourth chapter, um, if you'd like to get your Bibles on chapter 4 of Nehemiah. If you're reading your Bible on your phone or iPad or any other device, uh, unless your phone has the ability of running two applications, that means you've got to close down Candy Crush and Facebook and open the Bible if you'd like to do that. Um, otherwise, yeah. Just before we read through the chapter 4, um, a bit of background on what we've read so far and what we've studied. Um, Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the Persian king. Um, They were taken into captivity many years prior to that. Uh, He grew up there, and he was the cupbearer. So it meant that he had to taste the wine before the king actually had it, in case it was poisoned. Um, So he was really good at knowing wines. I can imagine if he went to Waitrose to the wine section, he'd know all the names and everything. Um, Shush. Sorry, I wasn't being rude. I wasn't asking you to be quiet. It's the name of the city that he was at. Um, so the city of Susa, but it's actually called Shush. And that's where he was, and that was the capital of the Persian king, the spring capital. The weather is great there in springtime. You don't want to go there in the summer. Um, I would still recommend Majorca and other places. Um, so Nehemiah is there. He's with the king. Um, he's got a good status. Um, he still thinks about back home now and again. Uh, one day he receives the Jerusalem Gazette uh, in the evening. Um, so he opens it up, he reads through it, and then he gets to the bit where it talks about the city still being in ruins. Um, now, it was no news to Nehemiah, really, because it's been like that for many years, in fact, for generations. Uh, but the news hits him in a different way. He looks at it, he sees the same pictures, maybe, and it, he reads the same things. There's nothing in particular that was new, but the news hits him in a different way. He was prepared at the time to weep over his own city. Um, So he wept over the city because his heart was broken. He actually came to realize what it was. The city walls were broken. The city had no defense. There was embarrassment and shame on the people. Um, So he had to do something about it. He started by weeping. Um, Now, that's usually a good way of starting things, uh, to realize that We've got no power over uh, situations and really allow God to come and look into things for us. But does that sound familiar? Um, do you come across somebody else greater than Nehemiah who actually weeps over Jerusalem? It's Jesus who does that later on um, in the New Testament. We, we hear about Jesus doing the same thing. So you can tell that although things do change in the time of Nehemiah, but they don't stay the same and they do change um, for bad, unfortunately. So Jesus does the same and weeps over Jerusalem. Um, so Nehemiah goes to the king. Um, he's not looking as usual. The king says, what's the purpose of that face? He says, well, it's my city, my hometown. It's in ruins. Can I go there? Yeah, you can. How long will you be? And then he gave a time. Uh, he sacrificed his job, his position. Um, he sacrificed quite a lot. Imagine to be in the center of the world in a good civilization, And I'm not saying that just because I was born there. Um, It was, at the time, uh, one of the great civilizations. Um, He had a good Tesco and a big Morrison's around the corner from his house. Um, Life was good. Um, There were cinemas, theaters um, around, good culture, museums maybe, and 
the better of all, there was a good kebab shop around the corner from his house. So what else could he ask for? He gave them all up to go to Jerusalem, where there's no wall, where the city, um, there's, there's nothing really left of the city. Um, but he does that. He sacrifices. And that tells us something. To serve God, you've got to sacrifice. Uh, but it's pointing to something even greater, somebody even greater than Nehemiah. Uh, as we read through the New Testament, there are lots of people who give quite a lot. But there's one who gives everything and gives more than the rest of us and gives something that no one else can, do, can give. And that's Jesus Christ. So he's in this wonderful palace. He's equal with God. He is actually in the form of God. He is God himself. And then he says, no, I've got people down there who can't do much without me, who won't be able to be in the kingdom. So I've got to do something about it. It's Jesus himself who gives up everything. He sacrifices. He was actually sacrificed in real terms. Um, Nehemiah goes, inspects the city, uh, shares his vision with the Jews. They get up to work. Um, and we get to chapter 3, where there's a list of names. Usually, when people come to that bit, they skip it, because it just contains lots of names. But that is the bit where I'm really highly encouraged, because you can see lots and lots of people at work. You can see priests, you can see men and women, you can see families together, goldsmiths, you can see lots of trades, lots of people from different social classes together at work. Uh, do you see a similar thing around here? Um, yeah, I think I can see that. Um, but people usually skip over that. But Raj wonderfully preached through it last week, and I was highly encouraged. There's, I was reading a commentary on uh, the book of Nehemiah by Charles Swindles, um, and it says very clearly on it, when you get to the end of chapter 2, and obviously you'll have to start chapter 3, um, it says we've skipped chapter 3, because there's no chapter 3 in that commentary. Uh, now, that's not how you handle the Bible. Uh, the Bible is important, and every single thing in there is there for a reason. Even if it's just a list of names, it is important. People are important to God. One other thing that was really standing out from chapter 3 to me was... Um, a phrase, a particular phrase that said, right next to him, right next to each other, right next to each other, right next to each other. So that tells me, regardless of their social class, people who would normally have nothing to do with each other were next to each other doing something because they had a common purpose. And the common purpose wasn't just a social club. The common purpose wasn't a club that you would see. It wasn't that people would come, have a good time, and go away. In fact, it was a really hard time for them, but they, they stuck next to each other. They were doing things together because the common purpose was greater than something that people on this earth could unite together. It was greater than something that you can put in the middle to unite us. It was God himself. It was the honor of their God. It was the worship of their God that put them together. And again, you can see that here. If Jesus wasn't the center of our relationship with each other, none of us would probably know each other the way we do. Maybe at best we were friends. But we wouldn't know each other otherwise. But if you know Jesus, we are brothers and sisters. And that's what may, Jesus is, the common purpose. So they get into building the walls. But remember, the psalmist says that unless God builds the house, the workers work in vain. Uh, but we were talking about it on Thursday in our elders meeting. And Raj mentioned something really good. He said that, yeah, unless God builds the house, so... If you know God's not there, then what's the point? It's just hard work. But if you know that God is in the house, then you work even harder 
Because you know he's at work and he's there and he's for you and he is in the house and therefore you give it everything. Um, so that really stood up to me. So we get to chapter 4 of Nehemiah. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to chapter 4. We're going to read the whole chapter. Again, it's a bit long, but let's read through it. Chapter 4 of Nehemiah. Now when Sambalat heard we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunts on their own heads and give them up to, the, to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were, be um, were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burden is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near, who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people by their clans, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants work on construction, and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at work, and half of them held their spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at the time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So... Neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me. None of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Amen. Wonderful. So, 
we see that the building of the wall has commenced and we can see that there's opposition. Are you surprised? Not really. Um, that's, that's how it is. Throughout the Bible, we can see when the people of God start to do the work that God has called them to do, there is opposition. But there is something to remember in opposition, and that's my first point. It's the sovereignty of God. As Christians, that is the first thing we always need to remember, that it's God who is doing the work, that it's God who is sovereign. And if God is sovereign, that means He's sovereign over everything. Our lives, the lives of our children, our work, our finances, our asylum status, our God is sovereign. We can see in chapter 4 how Nehemiah is receiving threats and oppositions. But if you want to use chapter 4 in helping us dealing with problems, then that tells us we really haven't understood how to handle the Bible. It's not just a manual for handling issues. Of course, there's great lessons in it, but there's something greater in it. So stay with me in that. The people of God are doing the work they're called to, and there's people mocking them. Sambalat, I think he's a political leader. You can, feel, you can see there's a bit of background in there. He likes the fact that the city is destroyed. Why? Because he knows that if the city is built again, then the God of Israel will be worshipped there. And he's against that. He kind of likes it because if the city is destroyed, he still has power. If the city is destroyed, he maybe has benefits in it. Maybe he was there, put there by the king of Persia to look after the city, but for whatever reason, there's more money in it if the city is destroyed. And he starts with psychological attack. He comes up and says, oh, what are these feeble Jews doing? You can see quite a lot of racist words in there, can't you? You, you wouldn't be able to use them today. You can't just go around seeing people building walls and comment on their ethnicity. But Sambalat is quite free in doing that. These feeble Jews, they are weak. What are they doing? They don't even know what's going on. Do you even know the project that you're taking on? Do you even know how long it takes for the wall to go up? That's if you had the proper workmen. That's if you had proper finances. So it starts by a psychological attack. He tries to undermine them. He goes there and says, nah, 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 these are Jews who can't do anything, you can't get the wall working, and the rest of it. Um, they really ask Jews, do you have any idea how long it's going to take? Do you think it's going to finish overnight? Does that sound familiar? The number of times that people who've been church planting um, ask for prayers and they ask for prayer against the attack of the enemy, and it's not usually in the form of human beings, but it usually is. He uses people for that. And sometimes the sort of attacks that, that are there, and it's real. We're not being superstitious, but we do have an enemy. Do you hear the enemy whispering sometimes to you to say, it's not going to work in here. Do they even know how long it's going to take? It's not going to work here. Do they even know that we don't have the right people? It's not going to work here for this and that. Do you ever hear the enemy speaking that? Do you hear the enemy saying, oh, refugees are not our problems. Uh, let them be. We've got to focus on something else. Have you heard the enemy saying, what have we got to do with other churches around the world? Why do we have to send people to Turkey? Why do we have to support the ministry in Ghana? Why do we have to be worried about Ethiopia and Eritrea? They're just over there. They've got their own resources they can do with it. Why do we have to worry about them? We just don't have the resources. Let us focus on just ourselves. 
if you hear that, it's not from God. Have you ever heard the enemy saying, your Isaiah 61 vision is great, but it's too big for you. You can't get it work. It's too big. Yeah, it's amazing. It's the word of God. It's what he's called you to do. But it's too big. Can you see? Go and read it again. It's just not going to work for you. If you hear that, let me assure you it's not from God. But I'm not just saying that. I've got a solution for you. Sambalat has probably done this before. He's probably seen a couple of Jews finding a couple of bricks, trying to put them on top of each other, and he's gone there, mocked them. What happens? Maybe they just didn't have the sort of support, and they gave up. So he thinks, this Nehemiah guy, who does he think he is? He's not even from around here. He grew up in Shush. He's not even from around here. He's thinking he can build the city. I'll go and mock him. So he goes and mocks the Jews in the hope that the same thing will happen. For around 140 years, God had not been worshipped in that city as he used to. Now, how many generations is that? Depending on the lifespan and average lifetime in that time of year. 140 years, and that's just at least, I think it's around 141 or so. God had not been worshipped there by his people, by the people that he set aside for this purpose, so that there'd be a light in the nation. Now, let me tell you that if it wasn't for the grace of God, the next generation wouldn't see the church in this nation. If it's not by the grace of God, our next generation would not know about Jesus. And God is working through us. What are we going to do about it? about the next generation who's living amongst us now. It's not necessarily the people who are not born yet or people um, who are just a couple of years old. When we hear people mocking us, are we going to give up because it's too difficult? Or are we going to think about the next generation in this nation and the nations? Are we going to be so concerned about the Word of God being taken as a legacy to the next generation that you would stand against mockery? that you would stand against criticism. Now, we can see the criticism is from outside in here, but let's see, there is negativity from inside as well. How often do you receive criticism? Now, it can be constructive or not really constructive, coming out from not a very good heart. So if it's too often, you're probably one of the elders. If it's Hmm, now and again, you're probably serving. If, you do, if you're not criticized at all in your life, whether at church or outside, then you're probably not doing anything. Because once you do something, particularly the work of God, you will have people at least asking you a question. Why do you give your time to this? Why? So, I was in the hairdresser a, few, a couple of weeks ago, um, having a haircut. <laughs> no. I actually went with Babash. We both go to the same place. So. <laughs> um, and then we were talking. Uh, uh, I think we'd been at work. We had um, a meeting um, to do with the church in the morning as well. And then she was asking, oh, what's your plan for this evening? Is it, uh, and we said, oh, we've got another prayer meeting. It's coming up. It's great. We, we look forward to it. And you could see the look on their faces. Like, these guys have been out all day and at church meetings. And they've been seeing the same people. And now they're going back again for another meeting in the evening. You could see that. It wasn't a criticism, but it was just like, I can't understand that. Hang on. So you'll see these sort of things in the world. People can't understand it. Then we get to Tobiah. He's the guy next to Sambalat. And then he starts it going on. It, it keeps going. He says, oh, 
these guys, yeah, if a fox comes up and runs on the wall, it'll all fall down. That's a really big statement. It's really undermining what the Jews were doing at the time. Some people, some commentators say that Tobiah was probably worshipping the God of the Bible. Probably. But he's one of those people uh, who would just go wherever there's more benefits in, him for, in it for him. So if it's God of the Bible, yeah, let's worship him. If it's Sambalat who's got more power, yeah, Sambalat, yeah, you're a great guy, yeah, I'm all for you. Um, I saw John John this morning, he came and said, Sarush, I want to show you something. And I thought, yeah, great, let me show And he had a borrow shirt on and said, look. And I said, good lad. So he had a borrow shirt on and he was so proud of it. Now, try giving him a Sunderland shirt. <laughs> try giving him a Newcastle shirt. He probably won't have it because he's a good lad. But Tobiah was one of these guys. Borrow, yeah, up the borough. They lose. Hey, hey, Newcastle. They lose again. Oh, let me go to Manchester. Man, you. No. So he would just go whenever it suits him. He would not choose Arsenal because Paul supports Arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> Even Tobiah. Um, so he had like a collection of jerseys, football t-shirts. Uh, depending on what day of the week it was and what match, he would just put, put one of them on. Oppositions grow. So we can see names in there, and names are significant. So Sambalath, he's from the north. Tobiah, from the east. Arabs, from the south. Then Ammonites, again in the east, and Ashdodites on the west. So you can see the people of God being surrounded from all corners. The north, the south, the east, and the west. It's scary, isn't it? The only thing that will make these people happy is that if the God of the Bible is not worshipped them. Now, that is criticism from the outside. What happens from inside? So people obviously see that, and the words do have effect. So people hear that, and then there are some Jews who live near the borders with these guys who are against the God of the Bible. Now, because they're in close contact with the enemy, they hear things from the enemy. So the enemy goes to them and says, Why, what's happened today? Just a couple of bricks, eh? Go and talk to your brothers. Tell them of our plans. Go and talk to your brothers. Tell them that they're not going to get anywhere. Look! Look at my muscles. I can kill ten of you. What are you going to do? Go and tell your brothers. So these guys are scared, obviously, living close to the borders of the enemy. They can't do much. They'll go and tell their brothers. They believe the lies. They'll go and say, look, stop the work. They're going to come and kill us. Now, we're not even taking part in the work with you, but they're going to kill us as well because we've basically got the same ethnicity. Basically, we're the same people. You're doing the hard work will be killed as well. So stop it. And it says ten times. In that part of the world, ten times is, doesn't mean literally, but it means a lot. It's not like, stop the work once, stop the work twice. No, they went on and on and on. They tried to encourage their brothers and sisters to stop the work. Now again, you see that happening even today. People who are scared, people who listen to the lies of the enemy, people who maybe are realistic, but what about faith? Yes, this project is too big, but what about our God? Is he not big enough? Yes, what he's called us to is great and sounds brilliant, but we just don't have the resources. What about him? Does he have the resources? So negativity is from inside as well. They're not personally involved in the work, so they don't really know what's, going, what's happening. Now, if you feel that at points you've been negative about the work of God at church, good news. You can go to Jesus, because he's the head of the church after all. Just have to go and repent before him, 
and ask him to give you the courage so that when things are happening and you feel it's too big, that you would actually take part in it knowing that God is taking the work forward. If you have been critic of the work of the church in general, and I don't mean jubilee, but the church of God, go to Jesus himself. He is the head of the church. There is a proper place for realism. Yeah, we've got to be realistic. We've got to see things as they are. But at the same time, we've got to have faith. People were tired, and when you're tired, negative words really do have an effect. So they were working, hammer and chisels and everything, and then suddenly their brothers come and say, stop it. How does Nehemiah respond? I, I, I like this guy. He's like kind of stands out, because he, he prays before everything. We read in chapter 2 that before he goes to the king, he's praying and fasting for many days. And just before he talks to the king, he's actually having a conversation with the king. The king says, okay, tell me, what do you want? And then he says, and I prayed to the Lord and then told him what I want. So he prays beforehand. Then we get here and there's opposition. What does he do? He prays to God. Now, don't pray to God that he would destroy your enemies because we're living under a different covenant at this time. Um, But I just find it really amazing that this guy in that situation prayed to the God of Israel. It's important how we respond in the times of criticism. They didn't pick a fight, but they were prepared for an attack. Now, as Christians, we know full well that our battle is not with flesh and blood. Our battle is with spiritual beings. Nehemiah knew that there was also the threats and attacks physical attacks. So he gets an RPG, AK-47, grenades, and he gives them to his people and says, look, you get this, but don't you dare use it unless they attack you. He didn't go and find Sambalot's house and shout, Sambalot, I'm going to turn you into salad. He just didn't do that. He didn't pick a fight. He stayed where he was, but ready. He equipped his people. He didn't take the criticisms, the threats, too light. He equipped his people. And we can read later that as Sambalat and his people find out that these guys are equipped, that God had turned their plans into confusion, they become really outraged. Now, we're doing the same thing here. By we, I mean all of us who believe in Jesus Christ. And we've got great co-workers as well in different churches in Teesside, in the nations. We're building the church. We're building a church where God is worshipped and honoured. Now, it doesn't mean that everything will go smoothly. We will have opposition. And more and more, unfortunately, even in the West, you can see the Bible being despised, even in this part of the world where one day the name of God was reigning high. You can see there's criticisms. You can see that the Bible is taken lightly. You can see that the name of God is not really in favor. But hey, don't be scared. Don't be afraid. Don't listen to the negative words. Yeah, it's real. Things are happening. But God is at work. And He is building His house. Be part of it. Take part in building His house. Take part in building a church where for generations to come until the return of Jesus himself people are looking at the legacy that we've left and building on it and passing it on to the next generation 
This is something I want to encourage you to be part of. Many of you are already part of it. And as Simon said, on the volunteering thanks evening that we have, I expect to see a lot of us there. Because we're all in this together. Now, don't be so humble and say, oh, I'm only doing this and I'm only doing that. Please do come along, sign up. Because we're all in it together. We're an army for God. In Isaiah 26, we read that Isaiah is prophesying about a wall. Now, it's not the wall of Jerusalem. Isaiah is prophesying about a wall that brings salvation. Now, that is the wall that we rely on. We know who he's talking about. The ministry of God must be built by all God's people. As you saw in chapter 3, many people were involved in the work. Many people from different generations were involved, men and women. You could, we read about the guy with his daughters building the wall. Now we need all of you in this. If you're not in it, if you're on the, on the borders, if you're unsure where you stand with it, I want to encourage you to come in. I want to encourage you to use the gift things that God has given you and use it for His glory. A position will come, but God will use it. Just like everything else, God will use persecution for His glory. You can see Christians being persecuted around, well, quite, I was going to say all over the world, and that's probably true, but in particular parts of the world. But God is using that. People who are persecuting Christians are coming to know Jesus. They're having dreams of Him. The Bible is being available to those who would otherwise have no access to it. The Apostle Paul himself, he was the greatest critic of the church. He was actually the one who persecuted many Christians. He was there when Stephen, the first martyr, was killed. God used him. Look in your New Testament and see what God has done in his life, the result and the fruit of his life. A heart lived for God will bear fruit. What is your fruit today? Jesus, our God himself, suffered. And in 2 Timothy we read that all who believe in the name of Jesus will suffer. So there's no exception, really. If you believe in Jesus, there is suffering in it for you. There's, there is, of course, comfort and peace, but the peace that the world doesn't know, peace that passes all understandings, but there will be suffering. Many of you may already have experienced the suffering. You see, what I find really interesting is that no leader of great religions in the world have really suffered before they die. Many of them died when, in their old age. They died happy, happy of their achievements. Our God died on the cross and died willingly, and not only died, but He suffered. He suffered a death that you wouldn't wish for anyone. He died there so that you and I can have life here today, if we believe in Him. So if our God suffered, how much more will we suffer in this world? But let's not set our gaze on the sufferings, but on the God that is greater than every, everything else. Trust in your leaders. And I'm not saying that because I'm part of the leadership team. And I'm saying that because if you want to be part of God's work, if you want to be part of what God is doing, you need to trust your leaders. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we'll get everything right. I will, Simon and Raj and Gavin don't. But, but trust in the leadership. 
help us in what God has called us to do. Do not let fear get in there. Don't allow the things around that are not of God to get into you. I'm so grateful for faithful men and women who are helping us in this in different capacities. Lead by example, just like Nehemiah did. He told everyone not to go home, stay here, work in the morning, watch over the city at night. Now, what did he do? He didn't go home. His brothers, his servants, the rest of his family, they didn't. Lead by example. If you think there is criticism, respond to it in prayer and lead by example. Do not be afraid. Now, fear really gets in when the people of God are doing the work. And that is something that I really want to pray against this morning as we'll have some time of ministry. There is a cost to it. There is a cost to following Jesus, but the cost is not higher than the blessings that we have received. If you want to live a life like Jesus, it will hurt. In times of difficulty, the whole world will say, you could have lived your life differently. You've still got opportunity to come and change your ways and live a normal life. But in times of difficulty and suffering, the people of God live through the suffering knowing that God is sovereign, even in suffering, and they come out glorifying God, giving Him glory and say, we may not even know why we suffered, but we know that God is sovereign and hey, glory to God in the highest. This is the sort of reaction that God expects of His people. Are you up for it? You may be thinking, oh, I've got no suffering in my life. It's all great. It's brilliant. It's amazing. Come and believe in Jesus. I'm not saying that you will lose all of that, but it's not comfortable. Our God is not the God of comfort, but He's God all in all, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, if I could ask the band to come up, please. We're going to have some time of ministry, particularly for these points. If at some point in your life you've been critical of the work of the church in general, if you've been thinking, I've been negative to my brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you, just before yourself and God, go before God and repent. If you've had words of criticism, if you've had negative words in your service at church, then we want to pray for you, for God's strength and courage. We want to pray for faith. We want to pray so that God would protect you as you go and continue to serve Him. If at some points in your life you've been told you're not worthy of serving God, yes, you're a good person, but you actually can't because you just don't have this sort of qualities. Let us pray for you so that you can be restored. Let us pray for you so that God would use you in the ways that He has called you to. Even if the world thinks it's crazy. Even if the world thinks you're the last person. Because that's usually a good sign. Are we up for it? I also feel that there is fear in here. In some people's lives. The fear of not being able to complete what you've been called to not being able to complete what God has called you. Now, that could be the university course that you're doing. You may think it's getting hard, and I'm not really coping with it. If God has called you there for a reason, He has called you to remain the course. If God has called you there to shine for Him, then He's called you there. Stay the course. Be encouraged. Know that there are people praying for you. Know that God is at work. And at the end of it, 
You may be thinking, I suffered a lot, but you will come out giving glory to God. So if you'd like to be prayed for, for any of these reasons, or if there's something else in your heart that you'd like to be prayed for, can I ask you to move to the sides now, please? We don't have to wait for a particular moment. If I could ask you to just go to one of the sides, because that will indicate that you'd like to be prayed for. Ministry team, if you could also stand up as well and maybe go to the sides, ready to pray for people. If I could ask you to do that now, please. For the rest of us, let's stand up. Let's give glory to the one who deserves it. Let us focus our eyes on him in worship as we sing.